Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could, whether you're listening this to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, or any other of the uh, Potify's uh, sites... If you could, subscribe and leave a review to the pod. That would be greatly appreciated because when you do that, this podcast is then open up to other people's algorithms and allows people to know that this podcast exists, and that would be greatly appreciative. Now, with that being said, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw, this would be their season premiere, and before anything would happen, we would see DX at the gorilla position. This is Shawn Michaels, Road Dogg, X-Pac, and Triple H. Billy Guns is not here because he is contracted to AEW, so that's the reason why Billy isn't here. Triple H will let Sean and the rest of the group know that they cannot curse or point or talk about their genitals tonight because they have sponsors and Triple H is in a higher position. And then they proceed to talk about their genitals and curse, just like old DX time. So this was just nothing but a uh, retro segment for the fans to get a nice good laugh before the actual show began. Once that segment is done with, we will go out to the ring, and the bloodline is there. This is Roman Reigns, the Usos, Honorary Us, Sami Zayn, the Enforcer, Sosko, and Paul Heyman. Roman Reigns would talk about what happened last week on SmackDown. Roman would talk about his bloodline, and he would mention how his father told him at a young age that the loudest person in the room is usually the weakest. Then Roman will call Jay Uso up and ask him, is he the weakest? Because Roman is playing on with Jay constantly being a hothead. Roman would start walking up to Jay, and before anything could happen, Sami Zayn would step up and step in between this friction, and Sami would remind Roman in the kindest of way that he put Sami in charge of Jay, so he wants Roman to let him handle it. So Roman would give Sami the chance to handle it, so Sami would then start talking to Jay Uso. Sammy would tell Jay that him and Roman had a conversation and that the conversation pertained to the vision of where Roman sees the bloodline headed. Sammy would tell Jay that everyone loves Jimmy Uso. People like Soul Sokoa because they're cool, they're chill. And Sammy will tell Jay that he needs to be cool and can he do that? Jay will look at Sammy with the crazy eyes and then look at Roman and he would ask Roman, is he playing with him are you serious are you letting somebody try to handle me i'm your cousin and before this conversation could continue to roll they'll be interrupted by matt riddle coming out riddle would say that they shouldn't be worried about what happened last week they should be talking about his win over seth Rollins at extreme rules and riddle would ask roman for a shot at the universal championship or the undisputed championship even though he knows he can't get his like an official challenge for it because he lost to Roman and they kind of had to deal for it. He still comes out to ask for it. Remember kids, closed mouths don't get fed. So always ask for something. Roman would deny Riddle that request. Riddle would then taunt Roman by saying, if he won't step up, he knows somebody in his bloodline would step up. The crowd would start chanting Sammy's name. And this will lead to Jay having the idea to mess with Sammy and telling him that Sammy's the number two. Why don't Sammy do it? And then he starts egging on Sammy to take on Riddle. And Sammy would give in. And he starts telling Riddle that, you know what? Tonight in the main event, me and you go at it. So that's what happens. Later in the night, we would get Riddle going against Sammy Zayn. Also, later in the night, we would see Jey Uso following Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and Sosakoa to the parking lot. And Roman tells Jay that him and Paul are about to 
go out on a town because Paul set up something for Roman in Manhattan. And Jay wondered, could he come? He says, no, you got to watch out for Sammy because remember, Sammy's supposed to be over you. And I want you to take care of my honorary Uso. I want him to win his match tonight against Riddle. So Roman gives Jay his marching orders. Jay thinks Solo is coming with them. But Roman tells Jay, no, Solo's coming with me and Paul too. So it's down to Sammy and the Usos tonight against Riddle. But we'll get to that whenever I get to that match. After this whole situation, we get to our first match of the night. Austin Theory going against Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano would win this hard-fought match by pinfall when he has the one final beat on Austin Theory. Austin Theory is still on a downward slump. I don't think he's won a match since Money in the Bank. I don't believe, but I could be wrong. But yeah, he hasn't been on a good winning streak. But it looks good for Johnny Gargano since he's been back on Monday Night Raw. Well, back in WWE. After this, we had Rey Mysterio going against Chad Gable with Otis in his corner. Rey Mysterio would win this match by pinfall by hitting the 619 on Chad Gable and a splash. Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley will be at ringside during this match. And after the match, Dominic would get in the ring and give his father the come on hands, trying to tell his father to hit him. Rey would try to leave the ring, but Rhea Ripley would stand on the ring apron, stopping him. Dom would continue to tell Rey to hit him, but Rey still wouldn't. Rey would instead put his hands behind his back and Dom would slap Rey. Dom would then kneel before his father and tell Ray that he has to hit him. Ray still wouldn't, and it looks like Ray's about to run over and do something, but Ray would hit Damian Priest, who somehow got on the ring apron, so Ray would knock down Damian. Finn would get in the ring, and you see Finn get hit by Ray. Ray would get Finn in a hurricane rana and knock Finn onto the middle ropes. As Ray would look to hit Finn with a 619, Dominic would intercept with a crossbody. Dominic would yell constantly at Ray to hit him. Ray would get up with a sad look on his face and question Dom why he's doing this. Ray would then turn to walk out of the ring, but Dom would attack Ray from behind and he would land on the middle ropes. Rhea would hold Ray in the middle ropes and this would allow Dominic to hit Ray Mysterio with the 619. Now, we would go to commercial break and once we come back from commercial, they would show you what happened during the commercial and you saw Ray with a sad face and he looks like he's about to cry and he starts walking to the back. So again, we're building up for Dominic and Ray to finally have that match, that father versus son deal. We don't know when it's going to happen, but they're building up to it. When we come back for commercial, the Judgment Day are in the ring, and they're out here to revel in their ascendance on the Raw brand. They talk about Finn beating Edge at Extreme Rules. Finn would say that he is the one that stopped Edge's whole comeback celebration by making Edge say the words, I quit at Extreme Rules. Finn will have the production truck to play the video of him beating Edge at Extreme Rules. And once the video was done playing, you will see Finn move his attentions towards AJ Styles. He says that he's starting getting tired of AJ constantly turning down his offer to join the Judgment Day and his patience is wearing thin. So he's giving AJ Styles one more opportunity. AJ will come out and tell Finn that he's right and everything that he's been saying. That AJ needs people to watch his back since... He's been doing this by himself. Nothing has been going well for him. He says that he doesn't just need people to watch his back. He needs family to watch his back. So AJ would kneel before Finn. Finn would get AJ to his feet and then he will hug him. And Finn thinks he's finally got AJ over to his side in the judgment day. And AJ will tell Finn, but I wasn't talking about you. And this will give Finn a, like, a look of curiosity. Then the camera would pan over to the entrance stage 
and the Titantron would read Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows as they would walk towards the ring. So, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows would get in the ring, they stand behind AJ, and you would see Finn just stand there in shock as he's telling both Carl and Gallows that he made both of them. So then a brawl would break out between both of the groups, the Judgment Day, and the club, and it will spill out to the outside of the ring, and this will lead to Damien, Dominic, and Rhea fleeing through the crowd, leaving Finn Balor at ringside looking at the club. Finn would run into the ring and then run out of the ring to the opposite of the ring and start walking up the entrance stage. And then you would see the Judgment Day just looking at the club in the middle of the ring. So it seems that Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows are with WWE, even though Carl Anderson is the New Japan Never Openweight Champion. I don't know how this whole thing works out. I don't know. I'm just going to be waiting and see what the news reports or whoever has any type of truth will come out with what the detail is. I'm just shocked by it, but I'm happy. Why not? As much as Chaotix 2022 has been in the wrestling industry, why not? Let some goodness happen. If more wrestling companies are able to work together, then one day we could finally see WWE and AEW working together. Maybe. But we shall see. Um, After this, we have Bayley going against Candice LeRae. Candice would win their match by pinfall when she was able to counter the Rose Plant into a roll-up for the win. After the match, Bayley would try to grab Candice, but Candice would leave the ring and start walking up the ramp. Dakota Kai and Io Sky would attack Candice from behind and then send her back in the ring. Now you got Damage Control beating up on Candice. Then Bianca Belair would run down to the ring, trying to help, but she would end up getting beat down. And you would see Dakota and Io holding Bianca while Bailey went to the top rope and then jumped off and hit an elbow drop on the back of Bianca Belair, leaving Damage Control standing tall against both of these two ladies. So we're continuing Bianca and Bailey's whole Raw Women's Championship storyline, and I like it. It gives Bailey something to do, and it gives Bianca something to do, too, because, again, not a lot of competition for the women's side on the women's, like, roster for the women. Just not. Bailey is something new, so I like that they're continuing this. Uh, after this, we have the Miz's in-ring birthday celebration. Miz and Maurice are out here. They're still messing around with the concept of Miz having huge balls. This would all go downhill when Miz went for one of his gifts on the table, and underneath it was Dexter Loomis's head popping up. Miz would try to smash Dexter's head with a bat, but he would miss. Dexter would lock Miz in the silencer, and Maurice would try to help her husband the Miz out, but Miz would accidentally kick Maurice into the cake as he's trying to get out of the silencer. Miz would get close to the ropes, and he would easily be able to slide himself out of the ring and start running up the ramp. Maurice would get up, and she had some cake on her face, and she would leave the ring yelling. We would go backstage. Miz and Maurice would go up to DX, asking, where's Triple H? Miz says that he is tired of dealing with his lunatic. It says that he would do anything to get rid of him. Road Dog would say, how about this? Next week, you go against Dexter, and if you win, Dexter is gone forever. Shawn Michaels would say, but... If Dexter wins, he gets a contract with the WWE. Miz would accept. So we have our match for next week on Raw. Miz and Dexter Loomis. After this, we had Omos with MVP in his corner going against two local talents. You know the deal. Omos wins the match by pinfall. Squash match style by hitting both men with a chokeslam simultaneously for the win. And then after the match, MVP would tell Omos to do more damage. So Omos will pick up one of them and hit him with a double chokeslam. And then do that to the exact same other guy. So, we're still trying to figure out what to do with Omos here. I know we're building up for Omos to go against Braun. At least that's where I think we should be heading, but we shall see. 
After this, it's time for the United States Championship matchup of Bobby Lashley going against Seth Rollins. But before that match does happen, Bobby's out here. He gets a mic and he talks about how people has been feeling that it's okay to disrespect him as of late. Bobby will mention that he is beating guys like Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns, and Bobby Lashley. So he has a resume, so people shouldn't be messing with him like that. Bobby will then call Seth Rollins so he Bobby could tear up Seth. But before that happens, Brock Lesnar will come out. And this is a big surprise to everybody. Brock will come in the ring, and he will F5 Bobby Lashley. Then lock in the Cremora lock. So he will crank on it to the point that Bobby is screaming, and then you would see... Brock get off of Bobby. So I believe this is setting up for their match at Crown Jewel. So that's where I think we're headed with this. Uh, trainers and referees will run down to the ring to check on Bobby's arm. Seth will come down to the ring and his stomach is all bandaged up from his uh, fight pit match with Riddle. Um, the trainers and the referees will start walking Bobby towards the entrance ramp and Seth being the ultimate opportunist that he is now. He gets the mic. And he starts talking about how Bobby's supposed to be a warrior. He's supposed to be a fighter. But right now, he isn't. He's supposed to be representing the United States Championship. He's supposed to be representing his country. But he's not. He's being a coward. This would goat Bobby so much into taking the match with Seth. So Bobby would tell the referee to ring the bell. So we have our United States Championship matchup. Seth would win the match by pinfall when he hits Bobby with two curb stomps for the win. So Seth is your new United States champion. After this, we will go to the back. Bobby Lashley's walking backstage. He will get intercepted by a backstage interviewer. And it all comes to the concept with Bobby talking about Brock Lesnar. And he calls out Brock Lesnar to meet him next week on Monday Night Raw. So we'll have to see if Brock Lesnar will be on Monday Night Raw next week. After this, we get to Matt Riddle going against Sami Zayn with the Usos in his corner. And remember, Sami's supposed to win because Roman told Jay that he is supposed to help Sammy win this match against Riddle. So, Jay will try to help out Sammy during the match, but Sammy will stop Jay and tell him that, listen, you told me to handle this. I'm handling it. So, Jay would stop helping Sammy out. This will lead to Sammy's undoing when Sammy would try to hit Riddle with a blue thunder bomb, but Riddle would counter out of it, hit an RKO on Sammy, cover him for the win. So, Riddle wins the matchup. Now, to end Monday Night Raw, we will have the DX 25th anniversary. Shawn Michaels, Triple H, X-Pac, and Road Dog will come down to the ring. X-Pac will give credit to the secret ingredient of D-Generation X, China, RIP to China again. So this is their version of giving credit to China. Um, Road Dog would do his part of the New Age Outlaw intro, and the fans would do Billy Gunn's part. And Corey Graves would have a nice, like, little uh, side note by that, by saying um, the other guy is doing something with office supplies nowadays. He's meaning Billy Gunn's doing the whole scissoring thing on AEW. So I like them throwing in that little part there. But it's nothing but DX just giving their thank you to the WWE, thank you to the fans that cared about them and uh, watched them 25 years ago when they started doing DX. This is all but sending the fans home happy. And it was nothing but just good like five minute little deal so it was fine it was good running that raw was actually fine and good um it was nothing but continuing of storytelling and i like that we got to see the return of gallows and anderson this should bring about some uh fun interactions with wwe and other wrestling companies but we shall see as time rolls on but that is your monday night raw wrestling highlights of the week
Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with Braun Breaker going against Javier Burnell with JD McDonough on commentary for the match. This was an absolute squash. Braun will beat Javier by pinfall when he will hit the Gorilla Press Slam for the win. After the match, JD McDonough will get in the ring with Braun Breaker. Then Ilya Dragunov will come down to the ring. Now you got all three men who will be in the main event for Halloween Havoc for the NXT Championship in the middle of the ring, staring at one another. JD would headbutt Ilya, then immediately start attacking Braun Breaker. JD would beat up on Braun Breaker in the corner, and then when JD turned around to look at Dragunov, Dragunov would run over and try to hit JD with the torpedo headbutt, but JD would move out of the way, and Braun would take the hit. JD would leave the ring, and as JD is on the entrance ramp, Looking at Braun Breaker and Ilya in the ring, Braun Breaker is laid out on the mat and Ilya would pick up the NXT Championship and just celebrate with it by holding it up in the air. Later, we would see Ilya in the NXT parking lot. It seems that he's about to leave. He will be caught up by an interviewer. The interviewer asks Ilya, was the headbutt meant for Braun Breaker? He says there's three rules to wrestling. There is love, war, and then Grayson Waller will run up on Ilya and basically taunt him by saying for you to not mean to headbutt Braun Breaker, you're sure leaving the arena so quickly. Ilya will look at Grayson and say, oh, so you want me to stay? I'll stay. And Grayson tries to back out of it by saying, no, I just meant like, and then Ilya keeps on saying, no, I'll stay. So it will lead to Ilya Dragunov going against Grayson Waller in the main event of NXT. After this, we will have Axiom going against Nathan Fraser. This is their third match, and the winner of this match will be added to the North American ladder match at Halloween Havoc. Nathan Frazier would win the match by pinfall when Axiom would go for his leaping savant kick, but Nathan would get Axiom in a pinning predicament. Both men would trade pin attempts until it was Nathan Frazier was the one to get the three count. So Nathan Frazier has been added to the Halloween Havoc North American ladder match, so now the match has been completed with competitors. In said match, it is Carmelo Hayes, Oro Mensa, Wesley, Von Wagner, and Nathan Frazier at Halloween Havoc for the North American Championship in a ladder match. After this, we will have Valentina Forez with Sangha in her corner going against Indy Hartwell. Indy would win the match by pinfall when she would get Valentina up for a suplex from the ring apron to the inside of the ring for the win. During the match, Veer Mahan would come out and call for Sangha to come over. Veer would whisper something in Sangha's ear, and they would walk to the back together. So, Veer is back on NXT. He came back last week, but now we're starting to see him actually communicate with Sangha in some type of capacity. So, it seems that Veer and Sangha will be coming back as a team, at least in NXT. And for the people that don't know, yes, they were a team. They were a team in NXT... In the early pandemic era, probably like early 2020, and they had Stokely Hathaway with them in NXT, but something got derailed and made those two uh, split, and they called up Veer Mahan to the main roster early this year, so now he's back in NXT. Now, on to the Triple Threat number one contenders match for the NXT Tag Team Championships. It is the Dyad with Joe Gacy in their corner, going against Briggs and Jensen, who had Fallon Henley in their corner. Going against Idris Inafe and Malik Blade. Idris would win the match for his team by pinfall with some help from Cameron Grimes. Joe Gacy would hit Idris with a rolling elbow to throw him into the ring to the dyad. 
Cameron Grimes will pop out of nowhere and hit Joe Gacy with the cave-in. The Dyad will look to hit Idris with Ticket to Mayhem, but Grimes would grab Zach Gibson out of the ring and Idris would roll up James Drake for the win. So Idris Anafa and Malik Blade will be going against Pretty Deadly for the NXT Tag Team Championships. Don't know when, but they are the number one contenders. Later, we would see the Dyad and Joe Gacy outside of NXT's building, and they will get a camera, and long story short, Joe Gacy challenges Cameron Grimes to a match next week of a three-on-one matchup, since Cameron Grimes doesn't have no friends in the NXT locker room. Later in the night, Cameron Grimes will reply to that by saying, I might not have no friends in NXT, but that does not mean I don't have any friends in the WWE. So we will get a six-man tag matchup of the Schism going against Cameron Grimes and Mystery Partners. And it was built up like he's going to pull some main roster guys to be his tag partner to team up with him next week on NXT. I don't know who it is, but I'm going to be uh, waiting at the bits to see who it is. And this is the reason why I like NXT, especially this new rendition. Because you're starting to see a lot more main roster people come to NXT if it's not for just one like matchup that come there for a good couple weeks to showcase the future talent that's going to be up on the main roster in future time. That's what I like about this variation of NXT. I do like that this NXT for that exact reason. Uh, after this, we have Alba Fire going against JC Jane with Gigi Dolan in her corner. Alba Fire would win that match by pinfall when she would hit the gory bomb on JC Jane for the win. After the match, as Alba was walking up the ramp, she would get grabbed by someone sitting in the crowd and smash Alba's head into the barricade. That person would turn out to be Sonya Deville. Sonya would hop the barricade and continue to beat up on Alba Fire. JC and Gigi would join her. Sonya would clear off the commentary table, and Sonya, JC, and Gigi would hit the shield powerbomb on Alba through the commentary table. Later, we would go backstage to see Gigi, JC, and Sonya Deville in the Toxic Lounge, and they would get interviewed. The main message of this is that Sonya is here because Mandy is her best friend, and when you mess with Mandy, you mess with me. Sonya will say that Alba Fire will be seeing her next week on NXT in a match, so that's get scheduled. After this, we have Wesley going against Channing Stax Lorenzo. Wesley would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the spiral tap on Stax for the win. After the match, you will see Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes attack West from behind. Oro Mensa would come down to the ring to make the save for West, as both Oro and West would take out Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes. So it seems that Oro and West might make a tag team later. I can see it if both of them don't win the North American Championship at Halloween Havoc, these two being a tag team, I wouldn't mind that. Later, we would see Stax be visited in the locker room by Tony D'Angelo, who has a crutch. Because he's injured at the moment, because uh, they said mentioned that I believe either his he tore some type of muscle in his knee, so he's legitimately out with an injury here. And Tony would tell Stax that he didn't listen to him a couple weeks ago, and that's the reason why he's injured now because Stax didn't get off the ring apron, and now there's going to be some consequences for his actions. So next week he'll be going against a mystery opponent. Stax would try to ask Tony who is it going to be. Tony would tell him, you'll know the person who it is when you hear their music. So, Stax has to go against a mystery person of Tony's picking next week on NXT. Again, it's more likely going to be somebody from the main roster. Again, I like this. 
bringing main roster guys down to NXT to do stuff like this, I enjoy it. If it's not a main roster guy, it's going to be somebody debuting. That's the only thing that I can think of. Uh, after this, we had Keanu James going against Tia Hale, who had Bodie Hayward and Andre Chase in her corner. Keanu James would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Robert Stone coming in the ring and interrupting the match as soon as the bell would ring. Robert Stone would complain about Thea last week, body slamming him outside of the ring. Now he said he's a laughing stock. Robert Stone will say he has to now get his revenge on her. So Robert Stone would run towards Thea, and Thea would get him in a backdrop. And this would now send Robert Stone out of the ring, which would lead to Kiana hitting the 401k, which is a reverse sling blade on Thea for the win. Now, after this, we will go to our main event of Ilya Dragunov going against Grayson Waller. Ilya would win the match by pinfall by hitting the torpedo headbutt for the win. After the match, as Ilya was celebrating on the second turnbuckle, and when he stepped down off the turnbuckle, Braun Breaker would be in the ring, and he would spear the mess out of Ilya. And I mean, I felt that spear. You can just turn and watch that. Just clip alone of seeing how Braun just straight up just ran through Ilya like a Goldberg S WCW type spear on Ilya. That was sick. Uh, Braun would do that. He would look over Ilya and say, "This is my NXT." And you will see J.D. McDonough in the crowd clapping at what just happened. And it's showing that J.D. is the puppet master as both Braun and Ilya are doing the bidding of J.D. And remember, this is all to build up for their triple threat match at Halloween Havoc for the NXT Championship. I can't wait to see it because this actually gives Braun a chance to lose the NXT Championship as he did earlier this year in another triple threat match when it was himself, Dolph Ziggler, and Tommaso Ciampa. But we will see what happens when... They get their match at Halloween Havoc. But that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with their newest signing, Renee Paquette, or better known as Renee Young, for people that know her for her time in WWE. Also, if people that don't know her, she's also the wife of John Moxley. Uh, Renee will be out here. She's now signed to AEW. She's their newest backstage interviewer. And Renee would call out Christian Cage to come out to the stage. Christian will come out. He says that he is happy to be back in Canada before he takes a shot at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Christian would then introduce Luchasaurus so he could come out to have his match with Jungle Boy. So we get that match. Christian Cage is on commentary until towards the end of the match where he will come down to try to help out Luchasaurus when Jungle Boy would have Luchasaurus in the snare trap and he would... Um, basically try to distract the referee. Jungle Boy will leave the ring, try to chase Christian, but the referee will stop him before he can do that. Jungle Boy will go to the top rope, and now you see Luchasaurus grab him by the throat and hit him with a chokeslam off the top rope, and then hit him with a cutthroat variation of the KOD for the win. This was a nice, solid uh, match between Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. At one point, it seemed that Jungle Boy was going to win the match when he would hit a Poison Rana on Luchasaurus, and then hit him with the Kill Switch. Kill Switch, for the people that don't know, is Christian Cage's finisher, so he tried to beat Luchasaurus with Christian's finisher, but that did not happen. Um, So this is still building more into the Christian Cage and Jungle Boy rivalry as Christian is out with an injury right now, so I suspect when Christian does fully recover, Jungle Boy and Christian will actually have a match between each other, an actual match. Um, after this, we would get to a tag team matchup of the Factory's QT Marshall and Nick Camarado, who had Aaron Solo in their corner, going against Samoa Joe and Wardlow. 
Joe would win the match for their team by referee calling for the bell when Warlow would hit Nick Camarado with a swanton bomb and the Samoa Joe would lock in the Coquina clutch and the referee would see Nick just like pass out and call for the bell. After the match, QT Marshall would get in the ring and Samoa Joe would throw QT into Warlow so Warlow could hit it with a powerbomb. Once Warlow does that, he would go for another one, but the embassy, the embassy consists of Prince Nana, Brian Cage, and the Gates of Agony. They would come down to the ring talking about how Joe and Warlow shouldn't have stuck their nose in their business with FTR. And by saying FTR's name, FTR now comes down to the ring. FTR will go on to challenge the embassy to a match on Rampage, a six-man tag match. And they will say that they have found the perfect tag team partner. And I will walk out Sean Spears doing the 10 gimmick again. So he's now doing the actual hand signal for number 10. He's fully embraced it. He's no longer an evil villain. Uh, Sean Spears would grab Aaron Soho, throw him into the ring, and FTR would hit him with a big rig. So it seems the pinnacle was kind of back because we got four-fifths of the pinnacle together in this one segment. Only person that you're missing is MJF, but I don't see MJF coming to any of these four men's aid. And we did never ever pick up on Sean Spears and MGF's relationship. So it's going to be a fun dynamic whenever Sean Spears is back on camera with MJF to see how their dynamic is going to be. Uh, after this, we will have the match of Swerve Strickland going against Billy Gunn. Swerve would win the match by pinfall by countering the one and only and reversing it into a pinning maneuver. And Swerve would grab the ropes for extra leverage for the win. After the match, the acclaim would run down to the ring to check on Billy Gunn. Because Billy Gunn was getting his leg beat up on by Swerve throughout the whole match. So they wanted to make sure Billy was alright. Once they do so, you see the claim. You see Billy. They're about to scissor in the middle of the ring. But Mark Sterling and Tony Nese would come out on the stage and stop it. Mark would say that he has now trademarked the term scissor me in pro wrestling. Meaning that if the acclaim mentions scissoring or do the hand signal, they will be sued by Mark Sterling. Also, all the t-shirts that say scissor me, daddy ass on it, or anything that has anything to do with scissoring, Mark Sterling now gets the residuals of those t-shirts. He does say that the acclaim and him could make a deal, but for right now, they are at a standstill. So, more than likely, we'll probably see Mark Sterling make a deal with the acclaim, and the acclaim is going to have to give Tony Nese and Josh Woods a tag team title matchup to probably get ownership of the scissor me uh, term back for them. But for right now, the acclaim cannot do the scissoring. Uh, after this, we would go backstage and MGF would be interviewed. But before MGF could say anything, he would be interrupted by Stokely Hathaway. Stokely would say that last week they got with the Yuta and MGF would immediately stop Stokely and start basically chastising Stokely. Hey, hey, I get it, dude. This is great. Yeah, yeah. the old dynamite troll. Ah, yeah, know, I'm in the middle you know. of an interview and you interrupt me. Course, That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. I bet everybody on this roster finds that so funny. But you know who doesn't find it funny? Daddy. Yeah. See, now Daddy's gonna have to put you on timeout. Okay, bud. See. And by the way, this is strike number two for you. See, strike number one was last week when you got involved in my business when I did not inquire you to. Now, if you do that again, Stokely, I'm gonna fire you. So now here's what's gonna happen. For job security purposes, what you should do is take your Carlton Banks wardrobe wearing ass at a nice shot. Bye-bye. So when MGF gets done talking to Stokely, he then goes off and talks about his history with Regal. He doesn't go into it specifically. He does say that he has a past history 
with Regal. Regal might not remember it, but he does. And if Regal keeps on messing with him, he will be able to expose that dark history that he has with Regal. He would get into the interviewer's question about where the Yuta's handshake last week, whether he was going to shake it or not. He says that he doesn't even know if he was going to shake it. See, I had to do a lot of self-reflection this past week, and I am coming to terms with the fact that at a very young age, I had to learn the hard way that nice guys finish last. And I'm not an idiot, man. I know everybody in this locker room hates my guts and probably wants me dead, and I'm sure that makes up a large amount of our audience as well. Well, guess what? You don't have a goddamn clue what it's like to be MJF. Waking up every morning, splashing water in my face, looking in the mirror and knowing I have no choice but to be the bad guy. So you don't like me? <laughs> Tough shit! Cause guess what? When I walk through that curtain, I don't like me either! But that is what it takes to become champion of the world and by hook or by crook, I will become champion. Because I'm the man with the plan, the man with the chip, and the man who is a generational talent. So with MGF now having that proclamation, you can still tell that MGF still has the World Championship in his sight. My whole sidebar that I have for this whole situation is MGF is going to be juggling a lot of things on this plate because right now he's figuring out when he's going to cash in that chip, but he now has to deal with the firm. Because now you're pissing off Stokely Hathaway, who has not only the gun club with him on his side, he has Ethan Page, he has Lee Moriarty, and he has W. Morrissey. MGF has nobody to back him if he pisses off Stokely. And again, I don't like the story that what we're telling with MGF pissing off Stokely. The firm just got together as a group, what, a good month ago. And now we're starting to really disband MGF's whole contingency plan with him pissing off Stokely or Stokely doing little things to kind of get underneath MGF's skin. I don't like where we're headed with this. I hope AEW is able to fix that because it's great to have MGF has people at his beck and call when he needs it. That's the whole MGF character in AEW. He's always had somebody at his beck and call doing his dirty work. We have never truly seen MGF truly by himself. Now, if this is the route that AEW wants to go with, I'm all down for it. But I wish they would be able to kind of do it in a different way than what they're doing it now. But only time will tell if that's the story what they're telling with MJF here. Anyway, after this, we would go to the ring and John Moxley would come down for his in-ring segment. Mox would say that it feels good to be in Toronto after three long years. Mox would then go into talking about what it takes to be world champion. He mentions that you have a target on your back. You wake up in pain, and some people will get to the top and crumble under the pressure of being world champion. He will say that you have to be ruthless and willing to get down and dirty, and that's the kind of stuff Mox does. Mox would then turn his attention to Hangman Page. This would send Hangman to come down to the ring. Hangman would get the mic from Mox. Hangman would tell Mox that if you have something to say, say it to my face. Hangman would then say that when Mox last week talked about how he respects Adam Page, Hangman Page, that means the most to Hangman. Hangman would say that he respects John too, but when John called him a kid last week, that got to him. Hangman would ask Mox, does he think and feel that he is a kid? Mox would say that he feels that way because Hangman isn't the same guy that took him off of a ladder last year around this exact time. 
and that if the opportunity presents itself to Hangman next week in their World Championship match to pull the trigger, Hangman won't do it. Hangman will say that he has changed in a year. He has lost the World Championship because he couldn't pull the trigger. He lost the chance to become a trios champion because he couldn't pull the trigger when he was with his best friends. He's seen his friends dwindle week by week talking about Dark Order because Dark Order's numbers have been dwindling week by week. He mentioned that his elite friends aren't here either. Heyman will say that he has become a father, a husband, and ultimately that has made him into a man that you see before you today. And that next week, when he has a shot, he's going to take it and win back a championship he should have never ever let slip away from him. Heyman will drop the mic, bump Moxley as he leaves the ring, as all that was going down, MJF will be in the skybox watching all of this. And you could tell that MJF is really going to be honing his eyes on that championship match next week between Moxley and Hangman Page. And Hangman and Moxley probably want to watch out for MJF because MJF could cash in his little chip to become the AEW World Champion next week. But we shall see. After this, we would get the Ring of Honor Championship matchup of Brian Danielson going against Chris Jericho, who had 2.0 in his corner. Chris Jericho would win this match by a pinfall, thanks to help from Daniel Garcia. When Jericho would duck a roundhouse kick and push Brian Danielson into the ref, sending the referee into the ropes and ultimately knocking him down, Jericho and Brian would clothesline each other, knocking them down to the mat. You would see one half of 2.0, Matt Menard, run over and get the ROH championship and slide it into the ring towards Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho would get up, hold the championship, waiting for Brian Danielson to get up so he could hit him with the championship. Daniel Garcia would run down to the ring, grab the ROH championship from Chris Jericho, and you would see Jericho and Garcia arguing in the ring. Brian Danielson would take this opportunity to hit Jericho with the Buseco knee, or better known as the yes knee, and Garcia would then hit Brian in the head with the ROH Championship. This would see the crowd start cheering for them because they're in Toronto. This is Chris Jericho's backyard. Garcia would leave the ring, and Jericho would cover Brian for the win. So Chris Jericho is still your Ring of Honor champion. After the match, 2.0, Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho would get in the ring, and they will have a group hug. So Daniel Garcia is back with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Once this hug happens, you will see Rhea Regal, Rhea Yuta, and Claudio Castagnoli start walking to the ring, and you will see Jericho and company leave the ring, so this is still building the continuation of the feud between the Blackpool Combat Club and the Jericho Appreciation Society. To be absolutely honest with you, the only person who hasn't truly, and I mean truly, been invested in this whole like story between Jericho's group and the Blackpool Combat Club is John Moxley. Moxley's been doing his own thing. He's just been going after the world championship and trying to become world champion as Brian Danielson, Claudio, and Yuta has been going after Jericho. That's a weird thing to me. Like, you would think all your group members should be trying to get in this one story, but with Moxley being the world champion, I understand they have to, like, sidebar him to other important matters. Hopefully, we get, like, a whole big gang warfare between the Blackpool Combat Club and the Jericho Appreciation Society, but we shall see. And for the people that said we already gotten that, no, we didn't. Blackpool Combat Club got added into the feud with Eddie Kingston and Jericho. We really never gotten a Blackpool Combat Club and Jericho Appreciation Society gang warfare. Just want to sidebar and correct people if they want to try to say that. Now, 
off to Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter going against Hikaru Shida and Tony Storm. Shida would win the match for her team by pinfall when Shida would hit Britt Baker with the Falcon Arrow. Britt would then grab Shida by her legs and go for a pin, but Shida would reverse that pin into her own pin for the win. So Shida beat Britt Baker. After this, it's time for the main event of Dynamite for the Mid-Atlantic Championship. Champion Pack going against Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy would win this match by pinfall by hitting Pack with two orange punches, which is better known as a Superman punch for people that know it better under that name, for the win. Towards the end of the match, you will see Pack leave the ring and go towards the Timeskeeper area and try to grab the Timeskeeper uh, hammer like he's done his past couple wins. But you will see Pack grab the hammer. Somebody will put their hand over Pack's hand and you will see that person is Danhausen who was disguised. He would try to curse Pack, but Pack would forearm Danhausen and grab the hammer. The referee, now knowing what Pack does, he will leave the ring and be standing behind Pack and grab the hammer away from Pack. Pack would give it the hammer and they ultimately run underneath the ring and there was another hammer underneath there. So he grabs that hammer, get in the ring. He's waiting for Orange Cassidy to get up and he runs over to Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy hits him with a Superman punch. Uh, Pack would drop the hammer. Orange Cassidy would pick up the hammer and he's wanting to hit Pack with the hammer so much. The referee would stop him and say, listen to me. You don't want to be disqualified. Hand me the hammer. Orange Cassidy would hand the referee the hammer and ultimately hit Pack with another Superman punch. Pin him. So now we have a new Mid-Atlantic champion and it's Orange Cassidy. After the match, best friends and Danhausen would get in the ring and they would give the people what they want. And that's a giant group hug to send the Toronto fans happy. And that's how AEW Dynamite ended. I have no problem with it. Pac was a good mid-Atlantic champion, and but he still has the trio championship around his waist. So he only lost one championship. He did not lose both. And Orange Cassidy finally has a championship to go with his, uh, well, with his group because best friends needed a title. For some time now. I thought that they were probably win the trio championship at one point. They didn't. I thought they were probably win the tag team titles at one point. They have not. So for Orange Cassidy to bring home some gold into that group, that is great. But with that being said, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. This is their Impact Wrestling show after Bound for Glory. Um, Josh Alexander will come down to the ring and Josh is still the Impact World Champion. Josh will say that he was in a war with Eddie Edwards at Bound for Glory, but he came out the other end as still Impact World Champion. Josh will say that he might be the heart of Impact, but he is still a flawed human being. Josh will say that last year he let his guard down and that cost him the Impact World Championship. So he wasn't going to have that again. So he will call out the Call Your Shot Gauntlet winner, Bully Ray, to come down to the ring so he could discuss certain things with him. Bully Ray would come out and Josh would question Bully why didn't he attack him at Bound for Glory when he was bloody and beaten after his match. Bully would say, yeah, I could have attacked you after your match at Bound for Glory. I could have done what I did to other people throughout my career, stabbing them in the back because what he's basically trying to say, and he wouldn't name multiple people. He would name Hulk Hogan. He would name Sting. He would name uh, his brother, Devon. He would name Dixie Carter. He would name multiple people that he has stabbed in his a career in the back and he says this time he actually wants to be an honorable person and do it the right way. 
Joshua questioned Bully and say that people have told him that Bully is the last person you should trust in this business. Bully says that he isn't stupid and knows people has been calling Josh, talking to him about Bully. He wants to be able to leave a good impression on people instead of leaving a bad impression on people that he's been doing throughout his whole career. Bully will say that Josh will know when he is coming to call his shot because he will hear Bully's voice loud and clear. He will come up to Josh like a man and even shake Josh's hand before the bell would ring. Steve Macklin will come out and question why Bully was even in the Call Your Shot gauntlet. He would ask who did Bully had to politic to get into the match. Macklin would tell Josh not to trust Bully because of his past history with Impact. He would bring up that Bully straight up just waited a whole entire year to turn his back on Impact and basically stab them in the back with the whole Aces and Eight storyline. Like that happened in what, 2012? And Macklin brought that up here. So Macklin's basically telling Josh that he needs to keep his guard up. And Macklin would then tell Josh that he, unlike Bully, is somebody that comes at people straight up, straightforward. He talks about beating four former world champions, and he wonders what he has to do to get a shot at the Impact World Championship. So once Macklin says this, Moose will come out. Moose will tell Macklin that he needs to sit this one out because he is in the presence of former world champions here. Moose will tell Bully that he has watched Bully's whole career and he has picked up on some of Bully's traits and carried it out. And he would call Bully a scumbag, but he embraces the scumbagness and he calls himself a scumbag because, again, he picked up on Bully's traits here. So Moose would then tell Josh that he is of two men that has beaten Josh in this whole entire year and he did it the fastest. So once Moose says this, Bobby Fish will come out. Bobby Fish would get the mic from Moose. And Bobby would say that everything everyone has said out here so far isn't wrong and they haven't told a lie. Bobby would call Moose a scumbag. He would say that Bully Ray is a backstage politicker. And he doesn't know if Bully is a changed man or not. It's not for him to say. But what he does know is that Josh Alexander is a champion that doesn't turn down challenges. So Bobby would challenge Josh to a match later tonight for the Impact World Championship. Josh would accept, and we would have that in the main event of Impact. After this, we will have our first match of the night, a no-disqualification match between Tasha Steeles, who has Savannah Evans in her corner, going against Killer Kelly. Killer Kelly would win the match by submission by locking in the Killer Clutch on Tasha Steeles with using a chain to apply pressure onto the submission to make Tasha tap out. After this, we will have a six-way X-Division matchup. Laredo Kid going against Alex Zane, going against Kenny King, going against Trey Miguel, going against Black Taurus, going against Yuya Yumura. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Alex Zane with a lightning spiral, which is a wheelbarrow net breaker for the win. I would really urge you to really watch this six-way X-Division matchup again. Impact, whenever they have X Division matches, you do need to watch it. It's real high flying, it's real fast paced. And sometimes you even got big men in there, like Black Tarus, who can do the fast pace, but he brings the power into it. And it's a real fun time. After this, you have the six woman tag match up here of Vexes, Chelsea Green, and Deanna Perrazzo teaming up with Giselle Shaw going against Death Dolls, who are Rosemary and the new Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions. Jessica and Taya Valkyrie. 
Giselle will get the win for her team by pinfall when Giselle will hit a pump knee strike to Rosemary behind her head when Rosemary would be distracted. When Rosemary just got done spearing Deanna Perrazzo and she did not see Giselle knee her in the behind the head. So Giselle picks up the win for her team after that. The next matchup was Matt Cardona going against Bupinder Gujir. Cardona would win the match by pinfall when Bupinder was on the second turnbuckle ready to hit the gargoyle spear. But Brian Myers would come out and stand on the ramp. Brian Myers and Bupinder have been having a rivalry because Brian Myers is a digital media champion. And Brian is the best friend of Matt Cardona here. So Bupinder will look at Brian and this would allow Cardona to pull Bupinder off the second turnbuckle and hit him with the radio silence for the win. When after the match was done, you will see Brian Myers get in the ring with his best friend Matt Cardona. And they have now reformed the team of the major players in Impact. So expect to probably see them more as a team in Impact's future. Now it's time for the main event of Impact, the Impact World Championship matchup between Bobby Fish and Josh Alexander. Josh Alexander would win the match by pinfall when you would hit the C4 spike for the win. This was a great match between both men. You got to think about it. Josh Alexander just had a long, hard-hitting matchup with Eddie Edwards at Bound for Glory, and now he's having a match with Bobby Fish for the Impact World Championship. Bobby Fish is a striker, and you saw a lot of strikes to the legs, a couple strikes to the chest. And Josh Alexander, he was able to strike back with Bobby, but he was actually able to hit him with some uh, suplexes. But his main tool in his arsenal was more the ankle lock to Bobby Fish to try to take off uh, the knee strikes and make sure Bobby's legs were weakened so he wouldn't be able to kick him so much. So this match between both men, it was a good showing. Again, Josh Alexander proving that he is champion in Impact and that Impact has a lot of like faith in Josh Alexander. And this is giving Bobby Fish a, I would say, a nice like lever leverage up because people don't see Bobby Fish as a singles competitor. They know him as a tag team wrestler. So him having this match with Josh Alexander for the Impact World title, I think people will start seeing Bobby Fish as a singles competitor. After the match, you would see Frankie Kazarian coming out. Frankie Kazarian is the new X Division champion. Frankie will get a mic and congratulate Josh on his win at Bound for Glory and the match that he just had with Bobby Fish. But Kazarian would let Josh know that he is cashing in option C. What people don't know is, and if you haven't watched Impact in a minute, or if you're just new to Impact Wrestling, option C is if you're the X Division champion, usually if you have to hold it for a certain period of time, it's usually for until Destination X will come around and you can cash in the opportunity to trade in the X Division Championship for a shot at the Impact World Championship. That's usually option C. I've never seen it like really like pointed out this way. Like the champion just got it and he just cashing in that option. Usually you got to hold it for a certain time or until a certain event. So I don't know if their next big like event special on Impact like free television is Destination X or something. I don't know. But Frankie Kazarian has let Josh know that he's cashing in the options, so Frankie Kazarian will be relinquishing the X-Division Championship very soon. But anyway, that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a shot of the parking lot. It shows two cars that look destroyed. The commentary team will say that the cars got into an accident. Karrion Cross and Scarlett were in that accident. You will see Karrion come out, and he's holding his head. He just looks beat up. 
This will lead to Drew McIntyre just coming out of nowhere and attacking Karrion. Now, you would see Drew beating up on Karrion Cross. Officials will come out to pull Drew off of Karrion. Drew would tell Karrion that this isn't over between them. Throughout the whole night on commentary, they would say that Karrion got into an accident. They never ever confirmed that Drew was the person that drove the other vehicle. So there is a mystery now lingering on who hit Karrion Cross in their car accident. We would not know who attacked him. So now this is where we're entering into a new phase of the story. Karrion Cross in a car accident. We don't know who attacked him, but we also have Drew McIntyre wanting to get his hands on Karrion any chance he could get. So now I can see them going to try to put this all on Drew. And Drew's going to have to defend himself. And ultimately, it's going to probably lead to a shocking return of somebody coming back to the WWE. Now, after this, we would get our first match of the night. Kofi Kingston with Xavier Woods in his corner going against Sami Zayn with Jey Uso in his corner. But before this match would even happen, when Kofi Kingston and Xavier came out, uh, they would say that they are the, still the longest reigning tag team champions. Their 483 day reign as tag team champions will last forever. They mention this because on commentary, they mentioned that the Usos are 30 days away from meeting or even beating the New Day's long lasting tag team title reign. So that's something that we are embarking on right now. And I'm going to give you my details and my opinion on this. I think the New Day should keep that long reigning uh, tag team championship. Rain, that's just my opinion on it. I will give more into it if that championship reign gets broken. I don't think I have to yet, but if it does get broken, I will explain why that championship reign should never ever have been broken. But anyway, after that statement, we would see the cameras go to the back, and you would see Sami Zayn standing with Solo Sokoa, and he's talking to Solo, saying that Solo is reliable unlike someone, and that's when Jay Uso would walk up on them. Sammy will tell Jay that they will not have another mishap like they did on Raw. Jay said, yeah, we won't have another mishap because that was on you. You said you were going to handle your business, and I let you handle your business. So now you see Sammy and Jay go at it back and forth a little bit, and then the phone would ring. Sammy would answer the phone, and it's Roman Reigns on the phone. Sammy would talk to Roman and start snitching in front of Jay, saying that Jay's right here. Yeah, Jay could have did something on Raw, but I feel that he chose not to do something. So then you would see Sammy hand the phone over to Jay, and Sammy tells Jay that Roman wants to talk to him. So Jay gets the phone. He tries to explain himself to Roman. You don't hear Roman, like, say anything to Jay. You just hear, like, Jay's face start turning a little bit, and he says, yeah, I got you. And then you see him hand the phone back to Sammy. The phone hangs up. Sammy tells Solo to stay in the back and get himself together for his match later tonight, and Sammy tells Jay to follow him to the ring. So, we get Sammy versus Kofi, match start. Sammy would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Jay Uso helping him out, when Sammy would go for a back uh, suplex on Kofi, but Kofi would reverse it into a roll-up. While the referee wasn't looking, Jay would kick Kofi over, and Sammy would pin Kofi for the win. So, Sammy would get his redemption win that he was supposed to win on Monday Night Raw, with the help of Jay, because Jay was supposed to help him on Monday night. So Jay does that here. And later we would go backstage. You see Sammy talk to Solo and Sammy's trying to take the credit for the win. Jay tries to interrupt Sammy, tell him you're welcome. Sammy says, you're welcome for what? Jay tell him I helped you in your match. Sammy starts saying that he did all the work. He, that Jay didn't do nothing. Jay's starting to flip out a little bit. He asks Solo, did he see it? 
Solo says, nah, I didn't see you. As a matter of fact, I was looking more at Sammy. So now you got Solo Sokoa dissing his own brother in favoritism of Sammy. So now you can see exactly where Jay is talking about how Sammy is weaseling his way into his family and how it seems that Jay is the only person that sees Sammy's whole little weasel plot here. And it might be the only person that Jay might be the only man that might snap and really beat down on Sammy. And that might cause a big rift in the bloodline and actually have Jay be excommunicado out of the bloodline somewhere in the story later down the line. Maybe. There's a lot of twists and turns you can do with this whole bloodline feud. So I'm enjoying where they're going with this. I like that they're having Jay being like the guy going insane. So that's good. After this, we would see Rey Mysterio going up to Triple H backstage. And he tells Triple H that he's reached his breaking point. He talks to Triple H about his son Dominic, about how Dom has been treating him. And even though he's been treating Rey like absolute crap, he isn't going to fight his son. Ray would tell Triple H that he quits and he just wanted to do this to Triple H's face like a man instead of behind his back or anywhere else. Triple H would tell Ray that, hey, let's have a word in my office. We can make this right before you made that type of rash decision. I want to try to keep you here. Let's just have a word in my office. So you would see Ray and Triple H go into his office. Now, after this, we would go to this ring where it would be Braun Strowman going against two local guys. Braun would beat those guys soundly when he would power slam one of them, and then powerbomb the other. When he powerbomb the other, he will look at Omos and MVP because Omos and MVP were watching the match from ringside. And after the match, you will see MVP get a microphone and tell Braun that he isn't a monster standing next to Omos. He looks like a regular man. So the agenda for Braun Strowman to go against Omos is already in the books. It's going to happen somewhere down the line. When, I don't know, but just two big guys battling it out, I'm ready for it. After this, we would have Mansois with Maxine Dupree and Marseille going against L.A. Knight. L.A. would get the win by pinfall by hitting the BFT, which is Blunt Force Trauma, which is a snapmare driver, for the win. After the match, L.A. would get on the mic and say that he doesn't do this for anybody. He doesn't do it for the fans. He only does it for himself. He doesn't need anybody. And that he's putting the whole roster on notice because anybody can get their ticket punch. Because it's LA Knight's game. So LA Knight's putting everybody on the roster on notice. He's here. He's here to win. He's here to be basically the star. So LA Knight is now officially on SmackDown as a competitor. He's no longer Max Dupree. He's LA Knight. And I like it because LA Knight has the gift of gab. And he just seems like a real like WWE-esque like wrestler, sports entertainer, whatever you want to call it. So I'm glad to see him in WWE on the main roster where he should have been some time ago. After this, we get a six-woman tag. Damage Control going against Roxanne Perez, Shotzi, and Raquel Rodriguez. This match all comes about because earlier in the night, Roxanne Perez will be backstage in the locker room with Shotzi and Raquel. She mentions how she has a match coming up with Cora Jade at Halloween Havoc and that she came to SmackDown to find an opponent for Cora Jade for next week's NXT. And she picked Raquel Rodriguez. Bailey would take offense to this, so that's the reason why we have the six-woman tag here. Bailey would win the match for her team by pinfall when Bailey would go for the rose plant on Roxanne, but Roxanne would roll up Bailey, but Bailey would reverse out of it for the win. This was a good match. This was basically shining a line of Roxanne Perez here and letting people know who Roxanne was and that they should be tuning into NXT to see the future of their main roster women's division with Roxanne because Roxanne actually did have a good showing 
on SmackDown, and people on Twitter were basically saying Roxanne Perez is basically main event ready for her to go up to the main roster. But with WWE, they want to make sure that you're good. They want to make sure that you're truly ready for the main roster when they actually do call you up, at least in this Triple H regime. So I can see Roxanne spending some more time in NXT before she finally gets brought up to the main roster. But this still was a good showing for Roxanne here. After this, we had Hit Row's Top Dollar and Ashanti the Adonis with B-Fab in their corner. Going against Legado del Fantasma, Joaquin Wilde, and Cruz del Toro. Cruz would get the win for his team with Santos Escobar and Zelina Vega's help. Santos would pull Ashanti off the ring apron and make Ashanti's head hit the steel steps. B-Fab would get attacked by Zelina Vega. Top Dollar would see this and he would get distracted. This would allow Joaquin to chop block Top Dollar and this would allow Joaquin and Cruz to hit their Russian leg sweep insiguri combo on top dollar for the win. So Legato has a win up on Hit Row in this feud that they are beginning or reigniting again on the main roster. Now we will go backstage. Sonya Deville is being interviewed and Sonya would trash Liv Morgan. She would say that Liv had one job and she failed that when she lost to Ronda Rousey at Extreme Rules. Sonya would continue to trash Liv until Liv would attack Sonya Deville. Liv would beat her up, smash her head on the equipment suitcases. Liv would clear off a table and put Sonya on that table, climb up a equipment trust, and then jump off with a senton and smash Sonya Deville through the table. So this was set up for a match between both of those ladies next week on SmackDown. And this is also showing off another ruthless side that we're starting to see out of Liv Morgan, I'm cool with it as long as it actually comes with something later, not just like, okay, she had a ruthless side and now she's going back to the happy smile Liv. No, I want to see more ruthless nature out of Liv if this is with the direction that we're going with her. Let's keep that going. Uh, after this, we will get the Fatal 4-Way matchup where the winner will become the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. It's Ricochet going against Sheamus, going against Solo Sokoa, going against... Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio would take the spot of Karrion Cross because Karrion Cross got into an accident earlier in the show and that accident took him out. So Rey would take his spot. Rey would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a 619 on Ricochet and then followed up with a frog splash for the win. Also, it was announced that Rey Mysterio is now on the SmackDown brand. So instead of him being on the Raw brand where he was on, He's now on the SmackDown brand, so hopefully this separates some distance between him and his son Dominic, and Dominic now is his own free man on Raw. This allows him to expand his wings and allow him to learn under somebody else's learning tree without his father always being there, and allows Ray to just focus on himself on the SmackDown brand and allow him to do what he got to do. I'm going to be curious to see Ray Mysterio going against Gunther. I'm not sure if that match has ever happened, even on the indies, for a short period of time when Ray was on the independents. But it's going to be a real interesting uh, situation. An old Lucha Libre legend like Rey Mysterio going against a strong, like, brute, like, Gunther. It's going to be entertaining. Now, we go to the greatest portion, or at least in my opinion, the great portion of the show that everybody was hyped up for. Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt comes out on SmackDown, and he's out here with his lantern. I mean, everybody has their lights on their phones flickered up, the fireflies. He comes out with a new theme. He doesn't come out with any spooky, like, regalia. He doesn't come out in any type of, like, spooky uh, clothing or anything. He's out here in, like, regular 
people clothing. I mean, like just a black t-shirt, some jeans, some uh, boots or whatever type of shoes he was wearing. And he gets in the ring and people are just clapping for him and just cheering for him. And he gets the mic and you can tell that he's nervous. You can tell like the real emotions coming off of him. And I'm going to play you exactly what Bray says. I'm sorry. I could not chop this up enough because the fans were cheering for him so well. So this is exactly what Bray said to the audience. This, this, this right here, this is just me, okay? You know, this is a, a version of me that I'm, I've never got to introduce to you guys before. This is just me being me, genuine me for the first time. And uh, I just want to share with you, you know, this, this past year in my life, I've, I, I lost a lot of things. I lost, I lost my career. I lost my self-confidence. I lost two people who were very, very close to me. And I lost my, I lost my way. And I, I, and I got to a point where I thought that everything that I'd ever done here or otherwise, I thought it was all meaningless. Nothing I ever did has mattered to anyone. And, and, and I, was, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Once I was done feeling sorry for myself and I decided to go out in the world again and see people, there were people everywhere, they would say, thank you, Bray, ma'am, when are you coming back home? <laughs> and then every once in a while, there would be someone I would meet that's truly remarkable and you, you know who you are. But these people, they would come to me. They would come to me and they would say, Bray, I just wanted to thank you, man, because I was in a time of need and I lost people that were close to me and I lost my self-confidence and I felt weak and I felt vulnerable. And in this weakened state, I found your words, Bray. I found your words and I just wanted to thank you, man. You saved my life, Bray. And the thing about that is, is that I can sit here right now today and I can look all of you in the eyes and I can say that you were there when I was weak, when I was vulnerable, when I was down. So I just wanted to say thank you. You all saved my life. So with Bray saying all these things to the fans, he's really appreciating them for their time. He's appreciating them for never giving up on him. He's just really, really showing his appreciation to them. He would continue to say that he appreciates them and thanks them until a video would play. And you would see Bray Wyatt's white mask. And you know Bray's underneath the mask with red contacts. You would hear his voice get dubbed to sound deeper and it's still this cryptic video here and you can hear in the video it would say oh little one come with me your life is done forget the future forget the past life is over breathe your last you have no idea who you're dealing with but you will the video will end and bray's symbol will pop up on the screen and that will be the end of SmackDown. So right now, people are on Twitter and they're trying to figure out, okay, is Bray going to have a feud with himself? Is basically just more layers upon the Bray Wyatt character that we're getting here. And I probably would co-sign to that because Bray Wyatt is a real deep character. Remember, it's only one man's creative uh, ideas here. It all comes from the mind of Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is 
that much of a creative. So we're more or less going to get a deeper, like level crazy version of Bray Wyatt here. I'm all for it. Anything Bray Wyatt comes up with, I'm down for it because Bray usually has ideas that nobody's thought of and he always executed in some type of crazy way that you at least get to thinking about it and you will keep you entertained. So anything Bray is thinking creatively with stories, I'm all for it. I'm going to be like a kid in the candy shop just waiting to see what's going to happen with Bray. But anyway, I'm happy to see Bray back on WWE. I'm happy to see him back just in front of people. It was good to see him be a normal person on television and basically get to show his emotions and show gratitude to the fans that have been rocking with him since he's been in WWE, since he left WWE, just showing gratitude. But anyway, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to AEW Rampage. First match of the night would be the Blackpool Combat Club's Claudio Castagnoli with the AEW World Champion John Moxley going against Butcher and the Blade with the Bunny in their corner. Claudio would get the win for his team by pinfall when John will hit the Blade with the Paradigm Shift and Claudio will hit the Recola Bomb on the Butcher for the win. After the match, John Moxley would basically uh, hype up his match with Hangman Page on this upcoming episode of Dynamite, which will be airing on Tuesday this week instead of Wednesday. It's still going to be at 8 o'clock, but it's just going to be on Tuesday instead of Wednesday. And he tells basically Hangman that if he doesn't step up, he's going to get stepped on. So, again, Moxley, Hangman, AEW World Championship, that's what that was whole building up for. After this, we would get Jericho Appreciation Society coming out to the ring. It is 2.0, Chris Jericho, Daniel Garcia, and Anna JAS. Daniel Garcia would explain why he attacked Brian Danielson. Daniel will say that Chris's advice of sports entertainers being a pro wrestler was right. Brian is and always will be Daniel Garcia's hero. He taught Daniel Garcia about uh, fighting spirit, having that heart, that guts. But Chris taught him how to win. And Daniel Garcia would declare that he is a sports entertainer. Chris Jericho would gloat about having Daniel Garcia back in the Jericho Appreciation Society. And he would gloat and say that he is the greatest Ring of Jericho champion. And he's going to continue to desecrate on over Ring of Honor's uh, legacy. And he's going to continue beating former Ring of Honor world champions. This will lead to Dalton Castle and the boys appearing on the stage. Dalton would inform Chris Jericho that he used to be a ROH champion. And to see that championship around Chris Jericho's waist makes him sick. Dalton would challenge Chris to a match for the ROH Championship. Chris would agree, and that match will happen on this upcoming episode of Dynamite. After this, we will have Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero and Marina Shafir in her corner, going against Anna Jay, who had 2.0 in her corner. Nyla would win the match by a pinfall by hitting the Beast Bomb on Anna Jay for the win. Anna Jay was out here to try to beat up Nyla Rose so she could take the TBS title. Nyla Rose has the TBS title still, but she is not the champion because she stole it from Jade Cargill last week after Jade had her match against Willow Nightingale at Battle of the Belts. So Nyla still has a TBS championship here. After the match, Jade Cargill with the baddies will start walking their way down to the ring. The baddies will tell Jade that they're going to take back the TBS championship for her. So Jade tells them to go and get it. Security would stand in front of the ring to stop the baddies from trying to get into the ring. 
you will see Jade run up and start beating up on the security. So Jade take care of security, and this would distract Jade long enough that Nyla Rose and her company would leave the ring and start going up the ramp, still with possession of the TBS championship. So Jade still does not have the TBS title. Nyla Rose still has the TBS championship in her possession, so Nyla and Jade's whole little story for the TBS championship still continues on. After this, we would get Ethan Page with Stokely Hathaway in his corner, going against Isaiah Cassidy, who had Mark Quinn and Matt Hardy in his corner. The stipulation for this match was, if Ethan Page win, not only do the firm already have Private Party's contract, because they bought uh, Private Party's contract from Andrade's uh, agency on Dynamite this past Wednesday, but if he beats Isaiah Cassidy, they will also have Matt Hardy's contract, and Matt Hardy will be long to the firm. But if Isaiah wins, Private Party would be free of their contract from the firm. That doesn't happen. Ethan Page would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Eagles' edge for the win. Now Private Party and Matt Hardy, all three of their contracts belong to the firm, so... That's something to do here. Again, they don't know what they're doing with the firm. The firm's just like floating in limbo here. But with Orange Cassidy being the All-Atlantic champion, I can see Ethan Page going after that championship now because Ethan Page wants that championship. And I'm not... You know what? I'll be ecstatic to see Ethan Page going against Orange Cassidy for that championship. I'm not... That wouldn't be a bad match to see. We already saw that match once. But now with the new dynamic that Ethan Page is in and they want to show off the seriousness and they actually want to give Ethan Page like television time, I can see them actually up in the ante and giving Ethan Page more offense on Orange Cassidy when their match does happen. Now, on to the main event, six-man tag, the Pinnacles, FTR and Sean Spears going against the Embassy who have Prince Nana in their corner. Sean Spears will win the match for his team by pinfall when FTR would hit Khan with the heart attack. Then Sean Spears would finish it off with the C4, which is a Death Valley driver for the win. After the match, Maria Kanellis and Mike Bennett and Matt Taven would walk out on the stage. Maria would announce that they are here because her team wants to take the ROH Tag Team Championships because they built that foundation for Ring of Honor. They are a top team that used to hold those are always tag team championships, so they want to hold those tag team titles once again. The Embassy would attack FTR and Sean Spears from behind. Bennett and Taven would come down to the ring and join in on the beatdown of FTR and Spears. So now it's a five-on-three beatdown until Samoa Joe and Warlow will come down to the ring and make the save. The Embassy, Taven, and Bennett will leave the ring, and you will have this five-on-five just stare down between all five of these men, and that's how Rampage would end. So, Maria Kanellis, Mike Bennett, and Matt Taven are now in AEW. Um, here's a spoiler alert. Just going to say it right now. Next week on Impact, when Taven and Bennett defend their tag team titles against uh, Heath and Rhino, they will be losing those titles to Heath and Rhino. So, that frees them up from their contract. That was their last match they were going to have. And now they're in AEW, so there you go. Now, with all that being said, let me get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at, at my two podcasts, Instagram, my two cents podcast G2. Uh, my email is my two cents pod at yahoo.com. 
can always email me for anything if you just want to talk to me my email is there or if you have some type of suggestions hey the email is there for a reason um i hope you guys have a great saturday i hope you guys are safe and careful out there um please don't be a dick be courteous and if you feel that you are in a suicidal state please remember i do have the national uh, suicide hotline in the episode description so please call that number you're worthy people want to see you believe me there's more people that want to see you than see you leave this earth so please if you think about wanting to end yourself please call the suicide hotline that'll be greatly appreciated you don't know what type of light you bring into a room to somebody once they see you trust me just call that number people will want to see you living instead of seeing you drift over to the other side now with that being said this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all i thank you i hope you guys have a great saturday i hope you guys check out my sunday episode which drops tomorrow if you don't that's fine and yeah i'll be back here next saturday for the wrestling highlights of the week if you just listen to that but with that all being said i love you thank you have a great saturday and with that kanye could you please take these people home I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.